Hello, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. This show depends on your support. Please make a donation directly with the PayPal button at www.diffusionradio.com. Or you can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible book from audibletrial.com science. Or go to diffusionradio.com support and click on an Amazon link or buy a nano drone as a Christmas gift. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition... 3D printed jewellery, and a look behind the scenes at my press release inbox. But first up, here's the news. Bacteria for boldness. A team of students from Technion University in Israel won the International Genetically Engineered Machine Synthetic Biology Competition, iGEM, by modifying the bacterium Bacillus subtilis to treat male pattern baldness, alopecia. At present, there are few effective baldness treatments. The drug finasteride is the most effective, most popular and most dangerous. It puts men at risk of unpleasant sexual side effects and pregnant women at risk of miscarriage. If you're taking finasteride, also marketed as Propecia, don't stop taking it without consulting with your doctor. Suddenly stopping the drug can sometimes also start the sexual problems. Or you could get a surgical implant of a wig strand by strand. Or you could just wear a wig. Most people just shave what's left of their hair and make do. The students took a species of bacteria that normally live on the human scalp and modified it to express an enzyme that breaks down dihydrotestosterone, DHT, the testosterone derivative that makes hair grow so fine that it looks like it isn't there at all. They engineered a second bacterium to express a compound 3-alpha-hydroxysteride dehydrogenase to speed up the first enzyme, an enzyme for the enzyme. You comb the two bacteria solution together on your head to activate the enzymes to stop the baldness. The team travelled to Massachusetts where they won an iGEM 2015 Jamboree Gold Medal and first place prize for best new application. The 10 students have received funding and assistance from the Technion University to patent their technology and turn it into a startup business. The students haven't yet started human trials, so they can't say how effective the treatment is or how it affects different stages of male pattern baldness or even alopecia hair loss in women. They guess that it will only help men in the early stages of hair loss, as after 10 years or so of alopecia, the hair follicles start to shut down. Genetically engineered bacteria as a wildly popular therapy for baldness. From Israel. 
who could possibly object? If the treatment works as planned, then perhaps the next step would be to engineer scalp bacteria with an enzyme that disrupts the hydrogen peroxide that comes with ageing, that causes grey and white hair. listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Caitlin Dubler is a jeweller, designer, artist who really likes to experiment with materials and ideas. She creates concept-based works that move a lot between mediums as between jewellery, design and 3D printing. I spoke with her after her talk at Maker's Place in Erskineville. I began by asking her, what materials does she normally work with? My favourite to work with is silver and fine metals. I am traditionally trained as a silversmith, and then I like to experiment with those techniques and apply them more industrial by using 3D printing and different technologies, and really experiment with the traditional and the innovative and find an in-between and see if there is an in-between that exists. And you were saying there's a big preference in the in the culture of silversmithing and jewellery making for handmade things? Yeah, because silversmithing is one of the most ancient forms of work, metalworking. It's, it has so many different conventions and rules that are built up over time and a lot of them are about based around value and how things are supposed to be done. And I've kept running into a lot of different um, roadblocks. People kept telling me, no, you shouldn't do it this way, you can't do it this way. So I really wanted to see if I could and just go for it anyway and see how much I could push that and how people would react. So especially by applying 3D printing to like these traditional techniques and using both of them together, really created something new and a bit of controversy as well like in traditional silversmithing when 3d printing is used it is quite controversial and if something is entirely handmade jewelers now have to say it is entirely handmade and try to really emphasize that and it's a lot of change in value according to if it is handmade or not which i found really interesting to sort of play with and more than that, this categorization of it by saying this is handmade, this is machine made, but so many works aren't that black and white and you can't categorize it that much. So what my work, I try to do with my work is to have it in between the handmade, in between the machine made. So you can't necessarily say one or the other. It is just as equally both, which I find really interesting. So you're using 3D printing or machining as just another tool in making your jewelry? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Like I often, in my process, I start off with 3D modelling a piece and then I 3D print it and then I traditionally lost wax cast it in silver or other precious metals and then further hand finish it. So it's quite an intensive process that I go through to get any sort of final result and it does go between physical and digital back and forth so many different times that 
you really can't tell if it is one or the other, whether it is handmade or machine made. And what's the lost wax process? Yeah, the lost wax casting is where you start with, most commonly in jewelry, it's wax or any sort of material that can melt or carbonize. And the way it works is you pour a mold around it, then you heat it up and melt out whatever your masterpiece is. And that leaves a hollow form for where you can then pour in your silver or whatever metal you want to use. And then you open up the mold and you have your finished piece. And that's most traditionally the way you create multiples of pieces or create any sort of piece in metal. And you're using 3D printing with the lost wax? Um, Yeah, I create the first masterpiece to be cast and I create that with 3D printing and just your usual at-home desktop printer in PLA or ABS plastics, um, which actually casts really well. It has like a good melting temperature similar to wax, which I found really interesting. And it came out quite like really original and actually funnily enough when I first took it to the casting house to make they were really confused and really interested it's like what is this material it's really strange but it cast really well almost just as well as wax and you got some really original results from it because like once it was cast as well and went from the plastic to the silver the natural 3D printing lines really became apparent in it because the 3D printing process uses the deposition process where you can see the lines as the layers have been built up. And then once it was cast, those lines really came out and were really evident in the silver, which I really loved and was not intended at all. So by working with these new techniques or applying these um, innovative techniques, traditional media, you get these really unexpected results. And you were saying that when people were making things handmade, they were trying to disguise the fact that it was handmade. And then when it was machine, they were trying to disguise the fact it was machine. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I kept doing research or learning new skills, it was all based around um, getting the perfect line. Like it was handmade. You want a perfect right angle. You want to disguise any soldering marks, any file marks to make it perfectly smooth or round. And everything had to be precise and hide the the side of the hand and then when I was working with 3D modeling and 3D rendering everything was making everything look as realistic and organic as possible to hide the fact it was made by a machine and just it seemed ridiculous to me it was just a strange perspective of it I mean it makes sense because either way that's the most difficult thing to make in each form like to make it something by hand and make it look like a machine that is difficult to do and I guess that's people just seeking out to master a particular technique or form but that just depends on your definition of mastering or what's the correct way to do something and that's again something I'm trying to break down and experiment with of what is the correct way what is the best way and where is the value in that and if people wanted to find your work could they find you online yeah absolutely I've got a website www.dublerdesign.com.au I've got the Instagram it's just at dublerdesign and that's always my favorite like my work is so visual I do like being able to communicate it online and just show my process as well because my work is so process based and that to me is the most important part of my work to be able to show that online is really important. And you run workshops with your techniques? Yeah, I really like the area of collaboration and communication and idea sharing. That's what I love about like the maker space and maker movement. So I like talking to people about my 
and process as much as possible and even teach people different skills, whether it is traditional or non-traditional and just sort of let people really experiment and play and develop their own techniques with mine as well and create their own work off of it. So I run quite a few workshops. And what's the next area of experimentation for you? Oh, I'd really love to move more towards art as well and incorporate more conceptual-based work. So I've been collaborating with a few different artists and putting in more of an art-based museum context as well as design and really push also what design and art mean to each other, not just handmade and machine-made and just push different dichotomies that exist. Please find me online and or... If you want, come up and say hi and ask me any questions. I'd love to be able to just talk about the different ideas. Well, Caitlin Dubler, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That was Caitlin Dubler making 3D printed jewellery at Maker's Place. You can find her online at www.dublerdesign.com.au. And now the news that doesn't usually make the news. Instead of searching for the most interesting things I can find on the net... I thought I'd let you see behind the scenes to the sort of press releases I get sent all the time. So here's the headlines and a little discussion of the press releases. Celebrating 50 years of space research at the University of Melbourne. Nearly 50 years ago, a group of University of Melbourne engineering students began construction of the first Earth satellite built in Australia. Construction of Australis Oscar 5A05 was completed in 1967 and launched into orbit by a US Air Force rocket in 1970. AO5 carried out measurements in space, responded to commands from Earth, and was tracked by a group of amateur radio operators around the world. In the 45 years since then, no Australian university has repeated this. In late 2014, a team of University of Melbourne students formed the University of Melbourne Space Program to continue what the group began. This team is developing a full space program and building another University of Melbourne satellite. So they started building last year and the first event happened 45 years ago. Where's the story? The story is they're going to have a symposium. And at the symposium, they've got alumni who launched the satellite 45 years ago. Well, isn't that exciting? Get back to me when you launch a satellite. Colour matters in display of fish aggression from Monash University, Australia. Biologists have unlocked new insights into the mysterious evolution of colour diversity among fish and how aggression from other species plays a part in patterns of colour diversity observed in the wild. Colour diversity. The biological puzzle of colour diversity, or morphs as they're known, among different species has long interested biologists. Part of the mystery is trying to understand why some colours are much more rare. An international team of researchers from the University of Turku, Finland and Monash University, Australia, believe colourful amphilophus chiclid fish could provide answers by observing the way other species react to them based on their colour. Chiclid are native to Nicaragua and Central America and have distinct gold or dark colour patterns. Individuals of the gold morph are socially dominant over the dark-coloured fish, at least under laboratory conditions. Yet gold individuals are rarer in the population. When they presented the gold and dark-coloured amphilophus models to another species of fish, the moga, which is mean and aggressive, they attack the gold ones more than the dark ones. So the gold ones are rare because they're attacked more often, 
and the researchers believe that they're attacked more often because they're rare and perceived as a greater threat. Unlike the dark fish, the goldfish can't change their colours and patterns to become less threatening or less obvious to others. Australian business heavyweights back revolutionary ad-funded smartphone tech. Yep, it's ads on your phone. This is revolutionary. You may even say innovative. So basically, when you unlock your phone, the unlocked company shows you ads at the most inconvenient possible time. You're unlocking your phone because you want to look at the screen or because you want to make a phone call. And the ad will block that for you. Glorious. And for that inconvenience, they will pay you. So you either get credit or you get two gig of data. Now, that story was so important, it was sent to me by two different PR companies. The second one had the headline, Get free mobile data and credit for viewing ads with Labara Plus. So for the first time, Australians will be able to top up their mobile phone credit and data without paying extra. It's probably enough of a free ad for them. CNBP launch at Macquarie University. The ARC Centre for Excellence for Nanoscale Biophotonics, CNBP, will officially launch its Macquarie University research node at a formal event later in Sydney. The CNBP is focused on developing light-based imaging and sensing tools that can measure the inner workings of cells in the living body, which, since it's an entirely new centre that hasn't done anything yet, is about all they can say. From the US... We have Meta Mindfulness Music, Healing Sounds for Yoga, Mindfulness and Creativity from the Doshas of Ayurvedic Medicine, who obviously don't listen to my show. Seven top tips to buy in the right sunnies this summer. Ooh. Tip one, check the classification. Tip two, be colorwise. Darker lens look more fashionable, but that might not actually protect you. Grey, green and brown lenses offer you the best colour perception, which helps on driving on a sunny day. Bigger is better. Cost doesn't count. Obviously you'll have a budget, but be aware you can get a $10 pair of glasses with good UV protection and spend $1,000 on ones that don't. Tip 5. Don't get hung up on the word polarised. They can cut down on glare and haze, but not necessarily ultraviolet. Start young. Like sunscreen, the sooner you wear sunglasses, the more change the more change they have of avoiding eye issues in the future. Perhaps that's meant to be the more chance they have of avoiding eye issues in the future. And tip seven, make them a daily habit. Harmful sun can happen on a cloudy day in winter, not just in summer. And they offer me someone for interview about sunglasses. Media release. Women and ICT, capturing the opportunities of the digital age. Achieving gender diversity in the ICT profession. The Professional Association for Australia's ICT sector, the ACS, is today launching a new report, The Promise of Diversity, Gender Equality in the ICT Profession, outlining a series of recommendations to increase the participation of women in the ICT profession. Which I can only assume is code for information, computers and technology. The report finds that at a time when Australia is facing a serious shortage of skilled ICT professionals, women represent only 28% of the ICT workforce, compared to 43% in the wider professional workforce. The underutilisation of human capital in ICT looms as a major constraint on Australia's national growth. 
they really should tell you what they think ICT means. On it goes about the report, and the report tells you that changes are required in our educational system. We need to improve the self-confidence of girls and their abilities in maths and science, create a school environment that actively encourages girls to pursue a digital career, introducing a mandatory digital technologies curriculum, and develop a marketing program aimed at changing perceptions of what a digital career can offer. Well, obviously. NGV reveals secrets of mystery McGovern. The Ian Potter Centre, NGV Australia at Federation Square. Following year-long conservation project, the iconic Australian Impressionist era painting, The North Wind, will be seen in a new light. Working collaboration with a scientific research centre, the Australian Synchrotron, and utilising its ability to produce light one million times brighter than the sun, researchers have imaged pigments buried underneath layers of paint to reveal secrets hidden below the surface. In other words, they're showing you things the artist didn't want you to see. These findings include the discovery of a lush and green landscape composition later replaced by McCubbin in favour of an arid landscape. This composition was painted over by McCubbin amid the centenary of settlement commemorations in 1888 and replaced by his final vision that is more representative of the emergent idea of the heroic pioneer. Nuclear Technique Reveals Stone Age A nuclear scientist at the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, ANSTO, had an affliction with a kidney stone. And like any curious scientist, it got him wondering. Kidney stones affect 1 in 10 Australian men and 1 in 35 Australian women in their lifetimes. As an expert in the use of accelerator mass spectrometry, Vladimir Levchenko, senior research scientist, decided to apply carbon dating procedures to kidney stone samples to see if he could ascertain their age. It's believed this is the first time radiocarbon has been used to date a kidney stone. Carbon dating involves measuring carbon-14 that's present in a sample. Stones are classified by the crystals they contain. And in this study, the most common kind of kidney stone contains calcium oxalate. So they used accelerator mass spectrometry. With the help of Ansto chemist, they found that this particular kidney stone had been growing steadily for 17.6 years. In collaboration with a Dutch research group, they were able to examine various kidney stone samples to see if they were the same age, and if they both contained phosphate. The ones from Holland were different ages, one contained phosphate, the other did not. The one that contained phosphate came from a person who regularly consumed soft drink, which contains phosphoric acid. The patient with the older stone apparently had a trauma that caused the kidney stone at the date they determined the kidney stone started forming. The research was accepted by the journal Radiocarbon, and Dr. Koch from Holland presented the research at a major urological conference in Spain in mid-September. Nominative determinism. And finally, headbanging. Aussie B takes heavy metal approach to pollination. Oh dear. In an effort that would put metal fans to shame, the native blue-banded bee has been filmed headbanging flowers up to 350 times a second. And they have a video which I can put on the site. This technique causes vibrations that release pollen into the air similar to the motion of a salt and pepper shaker pollinating the flower. 
More than just a biological curiosity, the discovery could open the door to advances in areas ranging from improving the efficiency of certain crop pollination to better understanding muscular stress and the development of miniature flying robots. The joint teams from RMIT, University of Adelaide, Harvard University and the University of California, Davis, compared pollination techniques of Australian native blue-banded bees with North American bumblebees, which are commonly used overseas to commercially pollinate tomato plants. So the bumblebees grab the tomato plant flowers with their mandibles before tensing their wing muscles to shake the pollen out, whereas super slow-motion footage, which I look forward to seeing, reveals that the Australian bee bangs with its head. The research team found that by recording the audio frequency and duration of the bee's buzz, they were able to prove the Australian bee vibrates the flower at a higher frequency than overseas bees and spends less time per flower. There are, of course, no bumblebees in mainland Australia. So local greenhouse tomatoes are pollinated mechanically. But there are some in Tasmania, where they've been introduced. Our earlier research has shown that blue banner bees are effective pollinators of greenhouse tomatoes. And our new findings find they're very efficient pollinators, needing fewer bees per hectare. The research will be published in an upcoming print edition of the scientific journal Arthropod Plant Interactions. In the final decade of the 21st century, men and women in rocket ships landed on the moon. By 2200 AD, they had reached the other planets of our solar system. Almost at once, there followed the discovery of Kuiper Drive, through which the speed of light was first attained and later greatly surpassed. And so at last, mankind began the conquest and colonization of deep space. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network, including 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 2 NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2 X in Canberra, and 3 NBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then explore more than 700 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. 
everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.